Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If you love true crime podcasts, you've got to check out Copycat Killers, the latest podcast from Reels and Podcast One. These are the same guys who did Murder Made Me Famous, so if you loved that, you're going to love Copycat Killers. Every episode, they go behind the scenes of real-life murder cases which copy memorable slang seen in Hollywood movies. You definitely need to check it out. Be sure to subscribe on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast apps. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Glory, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is the great Sam Vecini of The Athletic, college expert, NBA draft expert, and it's that latter part that we focus on, of course, a lot on this podcast. And it was a really interesting conversation because this is an unusual 2020 draft class as of now, and so we get into why that's the case, how that might change, and then we also use that as a bridge to talk about the broader 2020 offseason, 2021. This is going to be a challenging time for a lot of general managers, and I think Sam and I are trying to get our own thoughts around that, so we kind of worked through it a little bit together. So I think you'll really enjoy it. Episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. Hope you really enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for coming on. Danny, how are you doing, man? It's a beautiful day in Los Angeles. Like we're, we're in that post rain, just like total sunny day uh, atmosphere now in Los Angeles. It started to happen on New Year's Eve and it's just, it's beautiful to live out here on the West Coast, man. You know this as well as anyone. I do. Uh, it's been nice in the Bay Area as well. Uh, my my college roommate, because I went to college in L.A., would say that the nicest days in Los Angeles are the days immediately after rain. Unfortunately, there are very few of those days because it almost never rains in L.A. Uh, rains slightly more up here, but not a whole heck of a lot. I think that's 100% right. Like, you get all of the the like vegetation kind of bounce back and it gets a little bit greener. And uh, for whatever reason, it seems like sunnier. I'm not going to well, And the roads are cleaner, and, too. The roads are cleaner. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know a whole lot about the science behind why it gets sunnier after the rain. But it's just beautiful around here, man. It's great. Something that is not beautiful. The 2020 <laughs> NBA draft class. I mean, this is and, – and I think – there are a lot of different big and small picture things that we can go through, but I, I thought that the the place that you went in your piece talking about the discussions at the G League showcase in Las Vegas was was a good one, which is just who is even in contention for the number one pick right now? Yeah, I think that that's a really great question. Uh, I think that NBA teams are trying to figure that out themselves. And look, on some level... I kind of think that the draft is cyclical in a way, and we, we've been due for a poor class for a while. Like in 2016, we got both Ben Simmons and what looks like a star in Brandon Ingram right now based off the way he's playing. In 2017, we thought Markel Fultz was going to be a stud. We thought that this class was going to be great. Um, Lonzo Ball obviously is hit or miss depending on you know what game you get him. Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox, you, you get all of these really, really great players, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, in that draft class and the 2018 draft class particularly, uh, really stood out in terms of teams being able to get a lot of early usage out of players and being able to feel like they hit on the draft. Some teams missed, obviously, you know, uh, 
I, I don't think that the Sixers are excited about having taken Markel Fultz at number one in 2017, obviously. But even in 2019, too, like we felt very good about Zion Williamson being a genuine generational prospect. And I still feel that way. Ja Morant has very clearly lived up to all expectations in the NBA. Um, even be beneath him, it's been a little bit hit or miss. RJ Barrett's in a bad situation. Uh, you know, Darius Garland's playing next to another point guard. Jarrett Culver is kind of going through some shooting issues. You know, it's been hit or miss, but I still think overall that draft has been positive. And at the time, we thought it was very positive, or at least we thought it was positive through the top five or so. Yeah. The 2020 it, draft. <laughs> that, that's, I mean, so I mean, oh what, boy. What, what I think is what I think is really fascinating about this is even though there isn't a lot of enthusiasm about the top, it does seem at least for now somewhat clear of who the top, let's say, three and a half players that are under consideration for number one. And remember, the discussion for yeah. number one doesn't guarantee those players are going one through four. It could be that somebody else jumps into the mix because of specific needs, but it does seem like there are kind of three and a half guys that are talked about for that top slot. Yeah, I would say that they're, you're right. There are about three to four, maybe five guys. I think that teams are really searching at the end of the day. The first guy and the guy that I get the most from NBA scouts and the guy that I feel most strongly about as well is Anthony Edwards. He's a six foot five power guard, you know, six, nine, six, 10 wingspan, something in that range, uh, averaging like 19 points, five rebounds, three assists a game for Georgia. Georgia's not very good. Scouts are already kind of going down the road of, of does this guy make teammates better he played for a high school team at holy spirit in georgia they won their state title but it wasn't a particularly good classification of uh i I guess competition level we'll call it and anytime that he went out and played nationally you know they kind of got the doors blown off they were like three and 13 or something i think it was uh in national games against good programs so when i look at anthony edwards i'm not as sold on him as I was even on someone like John Morant. And I had some real questions about John Morant heading into the draft. Like I I was not someone who was, you know, sold that this was a guaranteed superstar. I thought he was someone that, you know, had an incredible upside. And because of that upside, I thought he was the clear, you know, number two guy, but nonetheless, I did have some concerns there. And in the case of Edwards, I'm not as sold on him even being the number one guy in this class. And, uh, you know, you can go to James Wiseman and, you know, I I think that I am not quite as sold on Wiseman just because uh, he has all of the physical tools and I think he can be like a genuine defensive difference maker. But there are some motor questions that I think are pretty real. Um, I do think that the motor improved throughout high school um, to the point where he was – more consistently engaged and his frame developed to where he was more consistently capable of absorbing contact because sometimes I felt like he might have shied away from that a little bit. He doesn't really do that anymore, which is good. And I think that it's all a developmental curve and it's a cycle for these big guys, right? But for me, how valuable is taking a big guy at number two? I think it's going to be dependent on the team. Like I think you can make a case for Atlanta, for instance, prioritizing him. Uh, At number three for most teams I would say is where it starts to get murky I'm not quite as into where I would have Wiseman at number two but most teams he's the name I get I wouldn't even say most teams I don't want to say that he is the game he is the name that I get 
second most behind Anthony Edwards. At number three, I would say that LaMelo Ball has big fans around the NBA, the teams that, or the evaluators specifically, that tend to be lower on him, tend to be much lower on him. Uh, And think of him as like a top 10 pick as opposed to a top three pick. Uh, His production in Australia was insane this year. It was absolutely spectacular. And uh, his efficiency was a disaster. Uh, He's uh, a guy that I think is probably the best passer playmaker in this class. Uh, but is someone whose shot selection and decision-making in that regard leaves a lot to be desired, and the shot efficiency leaves a lot to be desired. And then finally, I didn't get anyone that told me Cole Anthony is their number one prospect. I did get some people say they think he is in the mix at number one. He had a really tough year for North Carolina uh, to start, and that's for me at least, mostly due to contextual situations. Every time he drove, he was getting double and triple teamed. Uh, There was no spacing around him. I think in the games that he played, North Carolina shot like 24% from three around him. So I'm not as concerned about like the negative assist to turnover ratio and the relative inefficiency in the lane that some are, because I think it was mostly contextual. But there have always been some concerns about Cole Anthony being selfish and taking the right shots and being willing to play with teammates in the settings I've seen him before. He's always been very unselfish when he is surrounded by good players. So I am higher on Cole Anthony, I think than some evaluators are. And those are the four that I get. Like you might get a Jaden McDaniels occasionally as someone that's like in the mix of the top, you know, three or so, uh, it's hard beyond that. Like there just really aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of, a lot of guys that are really standing out. Like I, I love Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey is not a number one pick in a draft. He he just isn't like as much as I uh, would be willing to go to bat for that dude. And he'll be one of my favorite prospects in comparison to everyone else in this class and other evaluators. He's just not a guy that you take at number one, I don't think. So, and, and that's and Tyrese Halliburton's kind of like that too, right? Yeah, Halliburton's kind of like that too. Um, you know, there, I have real concerns about how that shot translates in the NBA. He has very good touch, but uh, if you're going to be drafting Halliburton, it's almost like drafting Lonzo Ball again, it feels like to me. Um, just maybe with – I don't even know that like better – like I, I guess he's just a little bit more stable maybe is the way to put it than Lonzo it, it's he is this is a tough draft man like it's really just difficult to find the guys that are worth selecting highly in this class and, and that ties in with to me what is the most unusual and compelling part of this draft from an evaluation standpoint not as much for us though partially for us more for teams and you you got into this a little bit in a piece uh, is the challenge of evaluation here. So Wiseman, not playing the rest of the season, had a very, very small profile with Memphis before he got suspended yeah. and then before he, he left the program. Ball, you know, especially with his injury, he there's not going to be a ton of NBL film on him. There is other film on him because he's been playing competitive basketball for a long time. And then Cole Anthony, you brought up the idea of the lack of applicability of his situation. So that's another way where the film might not be as 
useful. So at first I think about these usually in selfish terms, which is when Nate and I go through film, we usually don't start until May and June because that because that's when there are fewer NBA games per day. And it is going to be a lot harder for us to have strong opinions on these guys because there's just less film to watch. But the more pressing part, because they actually matter, are the evaluators. And so this came up in the LaMelo Ball situation because of the idea of what happens when executives have to fly and burn three to four days to go see him play once right. or maybe go see him play twice. And If he plays again, if, by the way. If he plays again. very much in the air from what I understand. I, right. I don't really... I don't know. And by the way, I just want to shout out LaMelo Ball, too, because LaMelo decided to donate a month of his paycheck uh, in the NBL to the fires that are occurring all across Australia. It's like a terrible national tragedy in Australia. I think that there's something like a million acres that have burned. So shout out LaMelo for doing that. Uh, most of the fires are occurring in New South Wales, and uh, that's where he's living right now. So yeah, that, that's uh, shout very out nice. LaMelo. Yeah, and and. So, so think about this from a general manager's perspective. One of these top four players we talked about is there's basically no no college basketball film on him, and there will be basically no college basketball film. Another Lamelo Ball, there is very little professional film on, and there probably yeah, won't it, be much. It's like three hundred and seventy minutes. Right yeah, and now so and so Ball, both of those guys. Also, you're probably not going to see them if you haven't yet already seen them in person in a competitive game. Like it's going to be very difficult, impossible for Wiseman, very difficult for for Ball. Then Cole Anthony has the non-representative sample issues. And then Edwards, I mean, it's a complicated situation for him. And so you, it's so kind of perilous. I mean, even there have been some analogies made to when Anthony Bennett went number one, but at least there was film of Anthony Bennett. I'm not sure people knew what to think of him, but at least you had that. And this year, you have the combination of a, a what appears to be a weak group at the top, but also a weak group that you don't have much film on, which is in some ways good because that means that there's more, I would say, upside. Like, you know, there's, there's this idea that the the uh, going back to the like Chad Ford international man of mystery idea that less film is good if there's more volatility and more film is good if a player is actually talented but that makes life way harder and more stressful for general managers because as always if you have a top 5 pick your job is on the line maybe not immediately but over over a couple of years i was just glad that chad released his uh rankings of the star wars films again you know, good good to see Chad back on the internet, even if he's still creating poor rankings. Uh, with Lamelo and with Cole Anthony and with all of these players that don't have a ton of sample, I think that where we're gonna see evaluators kind of fall back on is the priors that they have, right? Um, NBA teams and people like myself specifically, and you know, for instance your podcasting partner, Nate, he often comes to a lot of this stuff too. And that's a credit to him. But like, um, we have McDonald's, we have hoop summit, we have, uh, prior events that evaluators have access to like Nike basketball Academy. We used to have Adidas nations. There are events and FIBA play as well. There are events and there are priors that evaluators have seen. It's just that, these events are sometimes representative and sometimes they aren't. I'll give you an example of this. Like Khalil Whitney, uh, he was always a guy that I was pretty skeptical on uh, entering college. I, I really just wasn't sure I saw the skill level being there yet. He went to the Nike Basketball Academy this summer and he balled out. Like he was 
awesome. Uh, and that's an event where, where like occasionally the players will, or NBA players and all-stars will come in and just like try and get some run against other really good players that maybe they haven't played before and stuff. And DeMar DeRozan showed up and DeRozan was like taking it to Whitney for a minute and Whitney just like flipped the switch and turned it on athletically in a way that made him just dominate the game for like two straight games basically and you know he continued to play well even beyond those two games but you look at him now and he's just been a disaster for Kentucky like Kentucky has taken him out of their rotation like he is out of the rotation of an NBA team and this is a guy that like a lot of evaluators had as a lottery pick coming into the year and I'm sorry he's out of the rotation of an NCAA team and this is a guy that evaluators had as a lottery pick coming into the year this draft is just so such a mess because a lot of those priors are not super duper representative. And because as you said, we aren't going to have a lot of great sample that is in a hyper competitive environment. So what do you do now? I mean, like plug your nose and like pick a player out of a basket. Like I, teams are going to do their due diligence and it's not going to be that ill-informed. And certainly whenever I make my rankings, they aren't that ill-informed, but there is a modicum of uncertainty in this draft that I can't really remember in the years that I've been doing this. One thing that I like about that uncertainty is I think it gives front offices license to go more on preference. You know, there are times where uh-huh. teams feel some pressure to kind of go with the consensus or go with the board because it is, uh, Nate brings this up a lot, and I think it's a really good point that it is a lot less likely that you will get fired if you take who everybody else thinks is good than if you take who, who if you could take a big swing. But if everybody's kind of meh on everyone, then if there's someone, a specific attribute, maybe it's jump shot or their mental makeup or the ability with the ball in their hands. And this isn't just true that one through four group. This seems like it's pretty much true throughout this board is that if you like somebody for whatever reason, you might as well take them because the cost of the cost of doing so in terms of reputation seems like it's a lot lower. Maybe that's just my perception. But and and of course, now with, let's say, like three years of time, if you do that and the player that you passed on, you know, if you take Kelly Olenek over Giannis, well, yeah, that's going to look worse. But at least you're they're coming at it from this basis of a pretty influx board, not only at the top, but from top to bottom. Yeah, I think that you're going to see a lot of evaluators this year take the guy that that they feel confident in, um, that they that they feel like they can trust to be an NBA player. Like that's why I think at the end of the day, Anyeka Kongwu at USC is going to be picked in the lottery somewhere, and probably going to end up like around tenth or so, because I think someone is going to be like. like okay, this guy is Montrez Harrell. Like, he is going to be able to be a dominant pick-and-roll force with great touch, uh, who plays with an incredible motor, who's like an awesome teammate to have around, but who also plays with an edge. And I think teams are going to be just really happy to get someone like that, or someone like Obi Toppin, for instance. Like, Obi Toppin is maybe the most skilled big man in college basketball right now, can really shoot the ball, can really uh, attack closeouts, can handle it, not a bad passer. Like there's just a lot of real talent there that is immediately translatable to where even if you have questions about a guy's upside, I think you're probably just going to default and be like, 
well, we think this guy's an NBA player and we need to get someone in that does not make us look like an asshole. Uh, and, you know, there are enough guys in this class that I think will make that happen for you. And I think that, you know, in the case of someone like a Jaden McDaniels, who I, you know, has really helped himself based off of what evaluators have told me and someone like a uh, Precious Achua or a uh, Teo Maladone, like I think these guys all have pretty real substantial upsides, but uh, I, I wonder if teams start to second guess themselves and start to worry about their standing with their owner and make a decision that uh, is not spectacular. And part of the challenge with comfort is it can come from a lot of different things. So it could even be general manager has a relationship with college coach X and college coach X gives them insight on this player. But remember that college coach X is probably not as good evaluating the player for his NBA capacity. You know, like that they're, they're two very different things and very few college coaches have a ton of experience with that and they're not necessarily comparing it. So that's another huge element in play. And then the, the, the cruel twist of this whole story with the 2020 classes Remember, we're just a couple of years into the NBA finally fixing the rookie scale. And so this is a very different conversation than it would have been like three, four years ago before the the new CBA where, okay, even if you have like a top five pick and it doesn't work out perfectly, that player is, you know, they're not not crazy expensive until maybe that fourth year and then they're going to have a high hold as long as they satisfy the criteria. And actually, they'll, you know, they'll have a high hold either way. It's just that the uh, the qualifying offer amount would change. And I, I think that there is a kind of a, a, a that hilarious added element here that the teams at the top actually, are, that's one of the reasons they're going to be dealing with more stress is because if they get it wrong, it becomes expensive. And we've seen, and you, you could make an argument that there's a rationale for this. We've seen teams roll the dice a little bit more aggressively on those type of guys. The Suns did decline rookie scale options on Dragon Bender and Marquis Chris, both of which appear to be good decisions. But I was critical of the Magic picking up Markel Fultz's fourth year, and that worked out really well for them. Or really well. well at least worked out reasonably well. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know what to do with uh, Markel. <laughs> yeah, that's a conversation to have on a different day. But oh man, there's there's a lot to a lot to piece together there. The Magic are... I mean, unfortunately, with John Isaac now being out for about two months, they're going to be in a they're going to be in a dif- difficult situation as well. Yeah, like they really have to make some tough decisions here coming up, and like make a call on is any of this worth it? But you know, you bring up the idea of the rookie scale. I mean, you end up with the first pick in this draft. You're talking about sending out uh, a salary that I think is going to be something like I want to say it's like. 10 million, 11 million next year. Like, cause what the rookie scale for next season is, I want to say 8.6 million. And if you do the 120% that most rookies get, uh, Jumo Kiki might've changed that paradigm this year, but most rookies are going to get 120%. You're talking about a circumstance where, NBA teams, you know, they're guaranteeing two years and 21, 22 million dollars to a rookie at number one overall that like they're going to have some certainty on. Like they're going to think he's a good player at least, but I don't know if they're going to get 22 million dollars worth of salary in the first two years out of that guy. And they're basically all going to be hoping, you know, through all hell that 
they're able to recoup that value in years three and four because you know years three and four, then you're talking about two more years at 24, 25 million. So all told, number one overall this year is going to get four years, 47 million. And think about the guys that get those contracts now. Like, I mean, Danny Green is getting one year, 15 million. And Danny Green's like the third best player on the second best team in the NBA right now. Right. And usually the the rationale there for a player who's making a lot in the early years and, and getting quote unquote overpaid is that they'll make it up on the back end, that they will, you know, that they'll outperform that or that having match rights are so valuable that we'll get there. And if some of these players are not in the level, I mean, match rights are so much more valuable on players who either are max caliber, that's the easiest argument because then you can just straight up keep them, but then also for players who could potentially be underserved by the market, but those aren't exactly the types of guys that you're sexy enough to, to go top five. Like I was thinking about this in the context, not that he was a top five pick of Jakob Pertl. Like Jakob Pertl, restricted free agent in 2020, might end up being underpriced just because not that many teams need centers, not that many teams have a ton of cap space, but you don't want to, I mean, as much as I've enjoyed Jakob Pertl in moments, you don't want somebody like that top five because then you're not getting as much value. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. Like, it's funny you bring up Pertle. Like, I actually really like Jakob Pertle, and I've been trying to find a way to get Pertle to Boston because I think that, like, he's the perfect center that more than anything fits their salary structure, but also uh, would actually be really helpful to them as someone who's an awesome defender. Uh, just throwing that out there as something that I think should happen. Um, but yeah, no, I totally agree. And, like, if you're drafting it, even at number four, five or six in this draft like even at number five where nobody is going to feel confidence like some of these guys will outperform their draft slot because there are a lot of guys here that have ridiculous high upsides right but even if you're talking about number let's call it number six overall you're still handing out something in the range of a four-year i want to say 30 million dollar contract and that's just going to be a lot like that's a lot of money to spend on someone that you don't have a ton of confidence in and and you want to make it even more fun on my preliminary estimates let's say the number six pick in the 2020 draft their cap hold when they're restricted for agent 26.1 million dollars so yeah yeah you could i mean that so basically then you need to decide are you going to keep them or are you going to let them go and like this is a situation that new orleans could be dealing with with lonzo ball next year because he has a crazy high cap hold that'll be 2021 not 2020 uh but there there are a series of those situations and so much more to talk about with Sam Vecini, but first a message from betonline.ag. This is an extremely fun and busy time of the sports calendar, most notably because of football. You have the NFL playoffs continuing into the divisional round. Every play, every possession is on the line. On top of that, you have the national championship game in college football, LSU Clemson, and that's going to be on Monday. So whatever you are into in football or in basketball, check it out at betonline.ag and use that podcast one promo code for your 50% sign up bonus. It's also of course, a great week in NBA basketball, Boston and Philadelphia, which is going to be the NBA cast as well. Another Lakers Mavericks game, which is extremely exciting. But if you're into football, this is a, a great little window. We got the final weekend really with four games is coming up after a really fun one this time around. So 
whether you're going to be watching the games anyway and want to make it more interesting or you think you have a piece of insight that could that can really help you betonline.ag is the way to do it and use that podcast one promo code which not only gives you a 50 percent sign up bonus which is fantastic but it also tells them that you came from us which hopefully means that they will continue to advertise with this fair program so thank you so much for listening check it out betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts something else that i think is worth discussing even preliminarily for this is and this came up when you were doing the piece on who could potentially be fits for Wiseman is where the teams that could be picking in the top five some of them might be thinking about moving their picks and they're kind of two two realms there one is trading them for an established player which the Warriors are probably the most likely team in that mix to do but then the other one is theoretically trading up or down within this group and what makes trading up or down really interesting in in a class like this is would you potentially be haunted by it? I mean, is there the chance of the, in either direction of the Markel Fultz, Jason Tatum thing? And well, yeah, there's that. And there's the warriors of it all. Like the team that you cover more regularly than any other team, they have, they're throwing this entire thing for a loop because the construction that I get asked about from NBA teams most consistently is what do you think the warriors could get for number two and D'Angelo Russell in this draft. Like, I'm sure that you get asked about it too, right? Oh, yeah. Well, and, like and, that- and I'll add in one more thing to give people the full context. I've written about this a little bit. I'm going to write about it a lot more. Is the Warriors have one other really tantalizing piece in their theoretical big trade war chest, which is the Andre Guadala trade exception. So you have to construct it. That piece, trade exceptions cannot be combined with players to take on a larger salary. However, they could be a part of a larger structure of a deal where, and I'll give you an example, let's say Minnesota comes calling and they're negotiating something involving D'Angelo Russell. One of the things the Warriors could negotiate is we will take on Gorgie Jang's money independent of everything else. And so that's just another perk for Minnesota. So you negotiate it as a part of the collective deal and they just get that as an additional benefit. So maybe that's you give up less to get somebody, whatever it's going to be. Well, you essentially do it as like, a secondary trade. Yeah, you right? you do it as a secondary trade, but you negotiate the whole th- as a structural thing, thing together. But you negotiate yeah. it together because that is a benefit that you're getting. The Warriors could also theoretically do that in a way that gets them a, a good player or something. But usually, that kind of a, a salary exception, if it's a part of a bigger trade, will be a salary dump component. It doesn't have to be, but it could be. The other crazy thing the Warriors could do, and I'm going to write on this at some point in the next probably month, is. They could theoretically, probably after the season because of the hard cap, they could use the Iguodala exception while creating another trade exception and then use that one at some point. It would probably have to be a little bit smaller, but they could do something with that. So yeah, the Warriors are really complicated because they could go in about 10 different directions depending on their evaluation of D'Angelo Russell, everybody else's evaluation of D'Angelo Russell, and how all of these pieces fit together while acknowledging that they're not going to get to see how all these pieces fit together before they make these decisions. Because Clay, Steph Curry, D'Angelo Russell will not all, in all likelihood, share the court together before Bob Myers has to figure out what the heck to do with the draft pick and the Iguodala trade exception. Well, yeah, I think there's that. And, uh, I will say, like, most people think that the Cavs, or not the Cavs, the Warriors are just not going to use this pick. Like, that's that's what you get told, right? I haven't heard much yet, but, I mean, I think it's going to depend on what pick they actually get. And that's the second thing I wanted to talk about with how yeah. this how this could that's, get even crazier. That's the big is, complicated Is factor. lottery reform. I mean, so right now it's looking like the 
other than the Warriors, because of their unusual circumstance, the bottom teams in the league could all really use a talent infusion. So there isn't a, you know, there isn't necessarily a need for, and a lot of those teams are, you know, they're in the early stages of a rebuild. Like for the Hornets, I mean, after losing Kemba, they're further along than I thought they would be. Full credit to them. Hashtag Hornets over, baby. But the Hornets, the Knicks, the Cavs, the Hawks, much to certain people's chagrin, you know, those teams drafting a player and have and taking them along, that's totally fine. Where you really throw a monkey wrench into this is if a team that's a little further along through lottery reform gets up higher, and then this gets thrown into chaos again. So if the Pistons or the Bulls, maybe, depending on how Garpak sees their roster, like, if those teams get up there, maybe they just go, sweet, we get another bite at the apple, take a really high player, but then maybe they become another team like the Warriors that wants to use that to get a more established player. Right. I actually think that a lot of teams are going to look at these picks like that, but what they're going to run into is that most teams that I talked to, and I wrote about this in the draft buzz thing, they're seeing, like, the top pick, for instance, in this class as essentially like a top five pick not not like the number one pick is zion williamson is deandre ayton is markel fultz is ben simmons right they're seeing it more as okay we're getting a draft asset the equivalent of an amalgamation of jason tatum josh jackson darius fox darius garland um and these guys all you know some of them have hit like Jason Tatum, I still think, is going to be an all-star at some point. Um, you know, De'Aaron Fox is spectacular, but then you look at Darius Garland. Darius Garland has struggled this year, in my opinion. He's been a little bit better later, but he hasn't, or lately, but he hasn't been great recently. Uh, you look at, you know, someone like Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson is stuck in Memphis's G League team right now. So I look at all of this, and I really wonder what these teams are going to get for these picks on well, and, some and, level. And to I, I think I might have told this this on Real Jam Radio before, but I'm an econ major and an econ nerd, so I, I like to tell the story. The the reason that money, meaning like currency, exists is because of this idea of the double coincidence of wants. Because in a barter-based economy, it is very hard to make things happen because both sides have to value the entities in question similarly. So if you think your bread is awesome and everybody else thinks it's meh, then it's going to be harder to, to come to a trade. And so with money, you can just sell your bread and then you can use that money to buy something else. And what happens with trades is if especially if the the team holding the asset evaluates it differently than everybody else particularly if they do so highly too highly it becomes very hard to trade because you're never going to get exactly what you want and that is going to be to me a major complication and what's so funny about this year is the same dynamic is happening in regards to 2020 cap space because there has been a somewhat established precedent of, you know, like how much money is worth that. And you can tie in player quality, you know, like, for example, the Cavs got a first round pick from the Bucks for taking for taking on some long term money in Delhi and John Henson. But also they gave up George Hill, right. who is a much better basketball player and now was re-signed by the Hawks and apparently cannot miss from three anymore. So that is pretty good for Milwaukee. But all of those dynamics are going to shift for 2020 specifically, because 
number one, the free agent class sucks. It just it's it's just a bad class. Too many players were free agents in nineteen, and so not enough are in twenty, and so it's not an inspiring group. And second, right, because- and, and like it wouldn't surprise me also if we see some deals at the deadline this year. Like for instance, Woj just reported from what I gather that uh, Atlanta and Detroit are engaged quote-unquote, on Andre Drummond. Like, nothing is going to happen today, but there is an interest there, apparently. So I wonder if some of these guys are going to get taken off the market early as well and make this an even worse free agency class. Right, and and that has already been the case through the extension system. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys get extended. Congratulations, Brandon Ingram. You're going to make a ton of money. Uh, But the other... Oh, yeah, Brandon Ingram is a 1,000% getting maxed. Yeah. No question in my mind. And then the other the other big component of this is there are even though there aren't a ton of star players, there are more I would say right now there are more teams with big money slots than there are players who are worth it. And so what that means as a practical consideration is that money has to go somewhere. And so that could be acquiring players who are already under contract or something else. And so generally speaking, when there is more money available than there is necessity to use said money, what ends up happening is those dollars are degraded. They're devalued. And that means that teams who want to wield their cap space as a as a, a cudgel and just say, hey, if you want to clear money, then you're going to do that. So think about this. So there are fewer teams that want to clear money. There are more teams that have money. So the value of the money you have is a lot lower. And what's so crazy is congratulations to Travis Schlenk and the Atlanta Hawks. They might end up getting burned by both of these at the same time. Yeah, I just really hope that, and honestly, I do believe that Travis is smart enough to not spend the money when he doesn't have to. Now, what, for instance, their you know, interest in someone like a Drummond says to me and just the reporting from Shams at the website that we work for and from Jeff Schultz at uh, the AJC, it seems like the team is kind of a mess in the locker room and is kind of not responding to coaching. And we're going to start to see some ownership pressure be put down upon him. And this is the exact offseason that could set up for a disaster if a team's owner and a team, you know, anyone basically, whoever is running these organizations, most cases the owner, some cases presidents, whatever, decides to put that undue pressure on any sort of president of basketball operations or general managers because there just really is not a lot out there to be had unless you're talking about trade. Like I, I, the guy that remains fascinating to me on the market is Bradley Beal. Like Washington is this weird, fun, confounding, ridiculous basketball team that has been more enjoyable than what we anticipated. But like, I don't know that they've really fixed anything Do you. Well, not only do I think they have problems fixing things, but because of all the money they've spent on various players, and some of that is, you know, just the problems of signing John Wall to a Supermax and then him getting really badly hurt, you know, like that's a big problem. But thinking about how hard it is for them to turn the boat, you know, they're like, they're like a, a lux- they're like a, a luxury liner 
that has to, you know, you have to basically turn a week in advance. You know, that's sort of a, a situation financially. And those teams get into some real get into some real deep water and it will be it will be hard for them to to make that work and so yeah theoretically trading Bradley Beal but remember he agreed to an extension really what that did from his perspective was it locked up some money and it give but it gave the wizards and Tommy Shepard eventually more control over his destiny because they can trade him they can do whatever they want so yeah that that is yeah it gave him one more year basically yeah basically and and so Beal is a, is a compelling one. And then the other elephant in the room, uh, Drummond is an interesting example of this. And obviously there's that new reporting, but also you could think of somebody like Danilo Gallinari, which is trading yeah. for, especially a team that doesn't have a ton of cap flexibility, trading for a player who is an expiring contract, but has desirable bird rights. And so bird rights that are sufficient to resign them. And so effectively what a team can do in that circumstance is get something that's way more valuable than a, like 10 million in cap space or the non-taxpayer mid-level exception. And if they do it ahead of time, so let's say, oh no, I'm just going to say Portland, though Portland doesn't have to be the team here because they Portland could create about 14 million in cap space, depending on what happens with Rodney Hood's option. I assume he's going to pick it up now that he's hurt. Um, if they What they could do is they could trade instead of trading for a player who's already under contract, you trade for a player that you can get under contract. And you, while they cannot, I mean, in certain cases you can actually negotiate an extension. But let's say, let's say for this hypothetical that they cannot, you can come to a basic understanding with an agent of here's where his value might be, and would that be an acceptable number for you? And the really interesting thing about teams being proactive in that respect, should let's say Daniel Gannari, the Thunder, be willing to trade him because of that consequences for their potential playoff run, is that if you do it ahead of time then you retain the ability to use that about $10 million non-taxpayer MLE, assuming that you're still not over the tax. So a yeah, team you're, that, you're talking about extend the guy before... Well, or extend him, or, or, just, use, or just use bird extending. rights. Yeah, trading and extending, or using bird rights and doing it basically as the delayed extension. You can do it either way. And yeah. so teams that are proactive actually get a real benefit. However, are they yep. willing to sacrifice something much? So I, I, think what it's go- I think what we're going to see, this is my preliminary prediction, is... I think we're going to see some players, some trades that in both in June, July, and actually probably in February, that really surprise us in terms of valuation. Because teams, some teams will just buy too high, some teams will sell too, will sell really high, and some will do it too low. And they, they, and so there will be burning. And and the the analogy here is going to be to what happened in the 2019 offseason when Atlanta. Atlanta gave up or Atlanta received a first round pick, a late one from Brooklyn to take on Alan Crabb's final year. And then a couple of weeks later, the Clippers and the Grizzlies got first round picks to take on superior players. And mm-hmm. so you you can get into those circumstances where it looks a little bit worse or it looks better. Maybe you, you maybe your team makes a move early and then the market just dries up like I theorized before. So I think that's what's going to be so fun about this is who wants to make a move? Who does make a move? And how do those valuations and negotiations happen? Yeah. And honestly, like a lot of what you're saying now is why I wonder if we're going to have a bit more of an active deadline than what people who know things, we will say, currently think. I, I think because... we're going to have an active one in terms of negotiations. Whether those negotiations bear fruit might be a different conversation. You got what I'm because... saying? Like, like there's well, going to be a no, lot I of totally talking. There's going to be there's going to be a lot of hung up phones. 
I think that's going to be like, hey, what about Player X? And they go, well, we want this. And they go, hell no, like, we're not, we're not going to do that. We could maybe get Player Y for almost nothing. Like that, I think those are those are going to be some of the conversations. But also remember that let's say you are the general manager with a a pending free agent that probably doesn't want to come back, and you're right. not a playoff team. Well, something is a whole lot better than nothing there too. And the sign and trade market could be very limited as well because there are a lot of guys on the market. There isn't that much that's inspiring. And there aren't that many teams that are going to be bending over backwards to get some of those specific players. So maybe getting, even if it's like a high second and you want a first, but you're not going to get a first, well, maybe those teams are better off than losing a guy for nothing. But maybe with Gallinari, the Thunder would rather have him for the rest of this year, potentially make the playoffs, get the added revenue of a couple home games in the playoffs, and then lose him for nothing, that they would rather have that than a mid-first round pick. Or mid, sorry, mid-second round pick. Yeah, I mean, what, a mid-second round pick now gets sold for, let's call it, you know, $3 million. The added revenue from two playoff games, let's even say three if they make an extra, it's way more than $5 million. Exactly. And and so, in the prestige and the season ticket holder purchases and all, all that kind of stuff, like, you, you can easily make an argument if, if it's a player that good that they can make that material conversation. It's And, I mean, remember that there are also a bunch of expiring contracts on teams that are even more firm in the playoff race. Like, I don't see the Raptors moving on from Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka, and then I expect them to re-sign Fred Van Vliet unless somebody does something reckless and gives Van Vliet an offer that he shouldn't refuse. And it's it's going to be crazy because all of these things are going to be going on. And, I mean, the other part of it, I think it's going to be this house of cards for agents because agents are going to be trying to prop up their player values as best they can, but they're going to be, I think, leveraging relationships and trying to get their guys paid early on because right. it's, it's going to be wild from that perspective, too, of just the disparity between players of similar qualities in that circumstance. And that ties in, you know, like Boston Center situation and a few other ones that could be really, really interesting either at the trade deadline or this summer. Right. Like the, the one that I've been trying to figure out, and the re- here's the reason that I think we could see a more active deadline than what people think too this year regardless of what you know we think of it this year is pretty open in regard to who's going to win the title like if i told you boston won the title how shocked would you be i would be somewhat surprised if they if they don't make another move but remember not only do they have you know they have some salaries but they also have draft assets you know they still have this memphis pick that's either going to be seven through 30 this year, or it's going to be unprotected next year in a class that I'm assuming people like better because it's not this one. And that's a really nice piece. And confirm that. Yeah, that's a really um, nice piece. And and in Memphis, you know, as, as much as I've liked some of what they've done this year, it might take them another year to get there. And so you you run into a little bit of the, the King's pick syndrome. I guess that's going to be the right. new one on it, which is or the Nets pick, this this happened before, which is an unprotected pick of a team that then thus doesn't have an incentive to tank might end up being worse and is actually most valuable, which is when Danny Ainge traded it, it's then traded the Nets pick, it's actually most valuable a year before it's actually conveyed. So here's the next team. If Dallas was to make a move, do you think that that would put them in the title picture? It could. Uh, I, I mean, it's hard to see a team that not only has that group not played in the playoffs before, but basically none of their key players have before to see them to see them go all the way to the title. But also remember that for Dallas, especially if it's somebody that they can retain, then they're going to get these benefits for years. And I mean, Luca is in the MVP conversation. Porzingis is getting back physically. So I'm honestly purely talking this year. 
Yeah, like, so they, I, I don't think I don't think it gets them the all. The, I don't think it gets them all the way in. But also remember that one of the teams that has spending power this year in terms of expiring salaries and a first round pick is the Clippers, and the Clippers getting better would definitely make them a stronger title team. Right, the Clippers can genuinely make a move. Daryl Morey's going to try and make a move. We don't know what it's going to be. Because... And, it's, and it's probably not going to put them in the luxury tax because Tillman Fertitta doesn't want to do that. But right. we, we will try something. Yeah, absolutely. Utah, I think, like, it's very clear that they think something is not quite right there, just given the fact that they released Jeff Green and signed Rajon Tucker and then made the move for Jordan Clarkson. Like, I think they're going to be active. I think the Lakers are going to try and be active. Like, I, I think that all of these teams in the East, except for maybe Toronto, are probably going to try and be pretty active. Masai will be active. I just also think that he's going to prioritize 2021 cap space above everything. Well, and and thank you for bringing that up because that's the other elephant in this room, which is how do teams reconcile trying to get better for now or whatever, any of these moves with 2021 and 2021 is a very, it's not only a a better draft, presumably from what, from what you were saying, it's also a much better free agent class that could or could not include Giannis, but there are a lot of other good players as well. I mean, that's just the way the way that it works out. I haven't put together a list that I will do that for the athletic at some point soon, just because I think it's good context. But the teams that have stars in their eyes, those stars are not for 2020. Those stars are for 21. And how does that factor in? You know, does a team become more reluctant to take on a longer term contract because it could tie it up? I mean, we already saw this with the Knicks, who we'll see how, how desirable they are in 21. But those sorts of conversations are going to be funny. And also, this could be another place where teams that are proactive could end up getting an advantage, though I don't know chronologically when that will be. So let's say the Cavs. Like, I mean, speaking rationally, I don't think Cleveland is probably going to be in the mix for max free agents in 21. Like, there are just so many other destinations that are going to be going. Well, let's, let's just do the dance back and give LeBron back to the Cavs. Why not? <laughs> yeah, oh that that would be that'd be real fun. Uh and, and um, LeBron no, I, and LeBron like, could be a free agent that year. Like that's he's Right, that's he's, my point. Like he's a potential. I, I do have a list up. It's I'm just gonna go in terms of salary right now. So Chris Paul, if I remember correctly, has a player option that's like forty million, but uh, theoretically I think he's gonna he pick up that player option. option. Yeah. I you know what? Like if you told me Chris Paul, who has made $300 million or whatever in his career. And I know that he's the head of the players association. So I think that there is something to be said for just, you know, picking up the money while he can. If you told me that he just felt like he needed to go to a contender at that point, I don't think I would be a thousand percent shocked. I'd be like, shocked. I don't think like his previous home in Staples center with the Clippers or in the late yeah. or with the Lakers with LeBron. Or with my favorite right now is Philly. Like if we, you could find oh, a way to Jesus. get him to Philly, that would be spectacular. I think. But Chris Paul, LeBron James, I think that's a player option. But you know, free agency, he can have it. Blake Griffin, I believe, is a player option. Who knows what's going to happen with Blake's health? Chris Paul, I or not Chris Paul, Paul George, also believe has a player option. Paul George and Kawhi but both do. Yes, both of them do. I think they're both probably for with the Clippers long term. But as we've seen, a lot changes in 18 months. Who knows what's going to happen with injuries? Who knows what's going to happen overall? I believe Mike Conley can be a free agent. Gordon Hayward can be a free agent. Kyle Lowry can be a free agent. Anthony Davis can certainly be a free agent. And I, I don't think that while the Lakers have been as wildly successful as we all hoped and dreamed, and I would imagine that that is about as positive a situation as could be in the NBA for Anthony Davis right now, like if 
you told me something changed in 18 months. Like I can't, I can't sit here and tell you that I think that's wrong. You know, like you can go down the list. Giannis obviously is in that mix. Rudy Gobert can be a free agent that year. Um, Drew Holiday can be a free agent. Marcus Aldridge can be a free agent. Victor Oladipo can be a free agent. Like you just keep going down and it just keeps getting crazier. And oh yeah, that's the 2017 draft classes restricted free agency, which means Fultz, Ball, Jason Tatum, uh, John Isaac. Who else? Who else? Mix. Jonathan Isaac is in that. Bam. Mix. Lowry Market is in that mix. Donovan Mitchell is in that mix. Um, Here, I'll, I'll, I'll give you. Mix. I'll give you a few later in the draft. Jared Allen, OG Ananobi, Kyle Kuzma, Derek White, like Josh Hart. Like those are all like players that could potentially be desired free restricted free agent offer sheet guys. Yeah. So that class is going to change the entire paradigm of the NBA again. Like we're going to. We're going to have like a nice two year window here where I think the teams are trying to contend with who they got on some level, right? In terms of difference makers, but it's all going to shift again in 2021. And I think that a lot of teams, as you were kind of alluding to here, they do want to keep that flexibility open because it is important to be able to shift on a dime in the NBA now. It's incredibly important. And remember that there's the other added thing that if like with Giannis, but with a lot of these players that they could theoretically exert their will to get to, to make the conversation happen earlier. And so you want to be, maintain flexibility for that sort of move. Now, if you think that a, a trade makes your asset pool stronger so that theoretically you could go after Giannis or let's say Carl Anthony Towns, if, if he can agitate enough, he's going to be under contract, but if he can agitate enough for Minnesota to consider moving him, that there are only a handful of players in the league at any given time that either can, will, or will eventually be potentially the best player on a championship team or close to it. And of that handful of players, very few of them are available to change teams at any given time, and very few of them are young enough where you expect that to improve moving forward. And so will teams with stars in their eyes, whether that's Toronto or the Knicks for well or ill or any number of other ones, are they willing to give up flexibility for something less than that? And some will and some will not. Yeah. Like, for example, like Dallas, Dallas could clear max space in 21 and holy crap, would that scare the crap out of some, some front offices because then they can clear max space while retaining Luca and Porzingis. So maybe a free agent decides, you know, maybe a more dependent talent says, that's a great opportunity. You know, Mark Cuban is, is a highly regarded owner. They spend a lot on their facilities and Dallas is, you know, some, some players do really enjoy Texas as destination, especially if the major markets are largely spoken for. Let's say the Clippers retain their dudes. The Lakers are probably going to be spoken for because I think AD is going to opt out and resign in 2020. Um, then, and the Knicks are the Knicks and the Nets are pretty well spoken for too. Well, then, then the Dallas's of the world become, and Toronto potentially become a lot, they, they move higher on the list. And so it's so interesting to think about how this works out, not only because of the, the free agency stuff that you talked about so well, but because of the possibility of trades too. And so cap space can be used in many ways. It could be used to, to do a trade. So maybe Carl Anthony Towns, if he gets moved, doesn't necessarily get moved for a bunch of filler salary. He just gets moved into cap space and then Minnesota uh, for for a bunch of assets too. And then Minnesota creates a gigantic trade exception they can use in any way. Like it, there's so much flexibility if these things all happen at the same time. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And you know, getting back to the point at hand here, the 2019 draft. 
I think that that's why this is just a really difficult draft to have a high pick. Not only can you not evaluate the best guys at the top, not only are these picks probably going to be somewhat devalued on the trade market, but a lot of the guys that you would theoretically try and trade for, trade a top five pick for, they are signed long term. Like if you're going to trade a top five pick, you probably don't want to do it for an expiring deal, right? Unless you're getting a superstar. So these teams that, you know, for instance, Atlanta, like I, I can't get over the, like we're, you're going to be on my podcast. People will talk about it more, but like, if I'm Atlanta, I'm definitely waiting to address my center position in free or uh, in free agency or uh, waiting until the draft, right? Because there's just not a lot of upside to doing it right now, in my opinion. Um, if you're, I'm just trying to like spitball here. Uh, if you're the Warriors, I'm kind of waiting and hoping I get number one. And if I do, then that could be something that teams could really be excited about. Maybe. Uh, or if I'm someone like, let's say, let's say I'm San Antonio and I'm in the eight spot right now and they're not going to tank because Popovich won't let them. I don't think RC really wants to tank, but like if you're the Spurs and you miss the playoffs and you end up at number one somehow, that like kind of changes the paradigm of, of their rebuild a little bit because I like most of their young players quite a bit. Actually, I don't think they have a guy. If they do get that high upside guy to build around, it does change things. Like I think that the teams in the middle teams like San Antonio teams, like Minnesota, for instance, teams like uh, let's call it what I mean, Detroit certainly is another one. Washington, I think, is one. The teams more in the middle are the teams that I think could really drastically use these picks as opposed to, like, the disaster teams. Like, the Knicks need everything, but I think the Knicks still see themselves as, like, a destination spot for free agents. Um, The Warriors, they don't really need the pick. The Hawks, they need stuff. Like, they just kind of need everything, right? So... The, the teams that it shifts everything for are the teams that lottery reform particularly really helps and puts back into the mix. Yeah, it, it's going to be absolutely wild. Um, before I let you go, there are a couple other uh, things that are good to touch base on. We're basically transitioning right now from the non-conference schedule to the in-conference schedule, so it can be good to go a little bit big picture. And yeah. let's do uh, just just kind of off the top of your head, a couple pl- a couple prospects who help, help themselves over the last month plus and then a couple guys who who hurt their stock over the last month plus yeah so we mentioned Khalil Whitney earlier I, I think no player has hurt himself quite as much as Khalil has like I said like he's out of Kentucky's rotation right now which isn't great um I, I think he is like not a one and done now just straight up like he he should be unpacking his bags and planning on staying in Lexington. And I think he should stay at Kentucky to be very clear about that. Like, I I think that they are what he needs, but he needs to just get better. Um, I've always been very high on Onyeka Kongwu. He's been better than what I thought he would be, to be real. Uh, He has, I think he's averaging like 18 points and nine rebounds a game while shooting like 65% from the field and blocking like three or four shots a game he's just been like a total monster uh i think he's like a legit top 10 to 12 guy now and you know some people didn't think of him as a one and done like i said like i had him in my first round from the jump here um isaac okoro is another guy that i think has helped himself uh he's playing for a really good auburn team 
that I think kind of took some people by surprise. He's really going to have to shoot it at some point. Like he's shooting 21.7% from three, but he's also 18 years old and might be the best perimeter defender in college basketball. Uh, He's just like a total all around monster who just can't shoot it yet. And if you get the right team that I think thinks that they can fix him, they're going to be intrigued by Isaac Okoro. Uh, Jaden McDaniels, we mentioned, I think he's helped himself a little bit. Obi Toppin has definitely helped himself, but that, that started this summer whenever he went to Nike basketball Academy, the event where Khalil Whitney played super well, uh, and that didn't portend anything. Uh, Obi Toppin also was probably the best or second best player there behind and along with Cole Anthony. And he's just continued that and just been like a total monster. I'm trying to think, guys. Zeke Naji is another guy who's like really burst onto the radar as a guy that NBA teams are excited about. Um, trying to think. Caleb Wesson has helped himself. Scotty Lewis hasn't really helped himself. He can't do anything on offense, which is a bummer. And it, it, maybe I'll, I'll let you ask the next question, but I have a, I have a place I want to go to next. And, and I think that you're going to lead me there. Uh, well, actually, I don't think I'm going to lead you there. I just wanted a quick touch base on the on the Arizona guys because I was interested in them with Mannion and sure. yeah, and Josh Green. Yeah, no, I think those guys have played basically what exactly is evaluators anticipated that they would play, right? Like Josh Green is still a guy that has funky jump shot mechanics and is you know shooting 32.5 percent from three right now. So I'm not entirely sure you know, what his fit is going to be offensively in the half court, but he's a very valuable transition player on offense and he's shooting 80% from the foul line. So he can, he has some touch. So I think that teams might be able to sell themselves on fixing the mechanics. He's also a pretty good defender. Uh, And then Nico is a guy that, you know, I think that he's both helped and I don't want to say hurt himself, but the questions that we had about Nico entering the year remain questions right uh his burst his inability to like really get into the paint that stuff still exists i i do still have very real worries about it but he's also just an elite level decision maker his feel for the game is just off the charts i've been like kind of comparing it to you know if you want to be charitable like you could maybe make a fred van vliet comparison if you want to be a little bit less excited, you could make a Monte Morris comparison, right? But these guys that really move the ball around the basketball court really do a great job of knocking down shots from the perimeter and really do a great job of uh, playing unselfish basketball and getting everyone involved. There, there are teams where that structure really, really helps, I think, and really works well. So, uh, you know, I, I just kind of look around and – you know, there are some really exciting guys around here. If I didn't lead you to where you want to go, go there yourself. So, yeah, uh, I wanted to go next to just like the guys that, you know, I, I thought what you were going to ask was what players do you think uh, are worth watching going forward here? Yeah, that's a great right? that's a great question. And that's usually where I end it. So that's perfect. So. The guys that I'm most excited beyond the guys at the top, right? Because like, you know, LaMelo Ball, if he plays, Wiseman's gone. Cole Anthony, if he plays, I I don't know. Um, RJ Hampton, maybe if he plays, I'm unclear on that too. Um, You know, Halliburton is interesting. He plays on a really bad Iowa State team that is struggling right now. 
and they're going to really rely on him in Big 12 play. And I think it's going to tell us a lot about if he is more of a secondary second side ball handler who makes great decisions and can hopefully knock down shots off the catch whenever he's open. I don't really buy into him as like a jump shooter off the dribble just because of the shot mechanics, to be honest. Um, How much of that stuff translates? The guy I'm most excited to watch is Tyrese Maxey because I think that Maxey at Kentucky is starting the light bulbs coming on for him uh, over the course of the last little while, right? He's built like a linebacker. He doesn't have a great first step, but he has a great, great floater game. He finishes inside. I think he can shoot it. I know the percentages right now. He's at like 29 to 31% from three, I think. That guy can shoot it, and it's going to revert. And he seems like he's finally figured out that he needs to be Kentucky's go-to guy as a scorer. And I'm excited to watch that transformation. And additionally, I really like Ashton Higgins. Like, if I'm in this draft, and I think there are a lot of guys that are super exciting – I want guys that like are just tough and I think can be like a role player on a winner and like Ashton Hagens, he might be a backup point guard in the NBA, but that dude is awesome. That's the kind of guy that like I want to have around my organization. He's a leader. He is a great kid from all accounts around Kentucky, all accounts, you know, in terms of Intel, uh, He's a great passer. He's an elite level on ball defender. Like those are the kind of guys I want. And then um, Paul Reed at DePaul and Sadiq Bay are two guys that I'm a little bit higher on that I want to track going forward. Arkansas is an interesting watch because they have Isaiah Joe and a kid named Mason Jones, who's averaging like 24 points and six rebounds a game so far in non-conference play. They haven't played a great schedule, but he's been pretty interesting thus far. Kyra Lewis Jr. as well is a guy that, uh, evaluators aren't entirely sure what to do with yet because of a skinny frame. He's a sophomore that uh, just turned 19 years old, I believe. Uh, or no, he turns 19 coming up here soon. And very skinny, doesn't absorb contact well, but is a lightning bolt in transition and is playing for an Alabama scheme that fits his game perfectly. So those are the guys I'm excited to kind of watch here. And then Washington is a team that I would emphasize – going out of your way to watch. I know they play the two, three zone, but they have a lot of really good players. They have uh Naz Carter. They have, uh, you know, quad green who I don't think is an NBA player, but is at least someone worth tracking. In addition to having Isaiah Stewart, who we haven't really talked about, who's been, you know, as prolific a producer as we could have expected as a freshman in college basketball and Jaden McDaniels. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a couple other random teams here. Well, uh, well Did you I watch have... Duke. Yeah. You know, like, Duke, Duke, Duke was actually the team I was going to ask you about. What happens if all the Duke guys come back? They, Cause I know they have a lot of high profile commits for the 2020 class. What happens? Um, I'd be surprised if Vernon Carey and Matthew Hurt and Trey Jones came back. Just, just because, uh, just to kind of clear the decks. Well, I, I think that there's not going to be much more for Trey to prove in college. Um, Vernon Carey has been arguably the most productive per minute player in college basketball. You know, at the end of the day, like unless he's going to radically transform his body and become this, you know, athletic center, I I don't really know what he can do to fix his issues. And then um, Matthew Hurt, I I think he's going to have a great second half of the year, to be honest. So, yeah, I I look at those guys and I assume they're going to be gone, but they're worth watching nonetheless. 
Well, I think that's a great, a great primer. Obviously, we will keep talking throughout the season, and we will talk on, on your Game Theory podcast as well in the very near future. Thanks, Danny. Thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at The Athletic. You can also listen to his excellent Game Theory podcast. I was actually a guest on that recently. That was released before this. We talked about the Drummond to Atlanta rumors, Chris Paul's amazing season, and Candy, actually, for a little while, which was pretty fun, and movies for a bit. You can also, of course, follow Sam on Twitter if you don't already. Sam underscore Vecini, S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. Love having him on. And if you want to support the show, there are so many ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download every episode. That's really important since the show comes out at different times every single week. You can also spread the word, word of mouth, social media, in person, whatever you see fit. And leaving a rating, leaving a review on your podcast player you're choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. I understand if it's not. And if you want to be super awesome and you use something else, you can actually leave a review both places. And really, what that's about is having new people find the show. And while this one's been around for a while, there are definitely still people that don't know about it. So I really do appreciate that. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do that. But the single most important thing you can do to support this show is to check out our sponsors. In this episode, that is betonline.ag. Use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus, which is fantastic. And if you want to check out my other work, I have Dunked On. We just did our season-to-date awards. We just did top 10 prospects, which is always a challenging exercise and a divisive process, but I enjoy it. And I think it's a good clarification. That's part of why we do it at this point in the year. And then my written work, I have a a batch of pieces that are going to be coming out soon for The Athletic. They're in in process right now. Um, I'm just finishing them up now, so they'll be going through editorial. So you can keep an eye on that pretty cool little series that I've been working on for a couple weeks. And Real GM Radio will be back, of course, at some point in the next week. I don't know exactly when, don't know exactly with whom, but we will check that out. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.